Well, we've been journeying through the book of Jonah, and by now you've learned that it's more than just this great fishing story, right? So much more. What a month it's been. It's been an adventure. You see, there's a a ton of truth that's packed into this book. 48 verses, 4 chapters. And if you'd like some sermon notes, uh, we want to get you those. Anybody need sermon notes? And you can follow along. If you do, just raise your hand. Our ushers will get you a set of that. And if you have been uh, not here the last few weeks, uh, these messages are available online. Listen to the whole series. It's been a real blast to be able to look into God's Word to gain truth from the book of Jonah. 48 verses, four chapters, but sometimes I wonder why didn't the book end in chapter 3? Why didn't the story of Jonah end in chapter 3? Have you ever watched or left a movie or you've come to the last chapter of a book or you finished a TV series finale and wondered, that was really a dumb ending. Man. Man. And looking forward, build up, build up, build up, and then they get to the end. It's like, what? This is really dumb. Well, it might seem that way with the book of Jonah as well. If you've read chapter 4, you may have that same kind of feeling. And last week, Pastor Michael did a great job showing us what happened to Jonah after he was spit up or vomited uh, where he should have been in the first place. And then he preached to the people of Nineveh, and uh, in mass, they repent from the king down to the animals. I, I love the thought of everybody dressed in burlap. Isn't that a good look? Even the animals uh, wore burlap. I picture that in my mind. They were fasting. They were turning their lives back to God. Cool. Man, why didn't it end right there? God, in turn, because of his grace, held off on the punishment that was due them. It seemed like the perfect place to end the story, right? But it doesn't end there. It continues, and it's not such a good ending, In fact, it gets really weird. So let's start verse by verse, chapter 4 of the book of Jonah. So here's what verse 1 said. This change of plans. What were the change of plans that we're talking about? Go from the end of chapter 3 to the start of verse 1. What was the change of plans? Tom? Zapped, right? Come on, God, do your thing. Call fire down from heaven and consume these wicked people, right? But this change of plan greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Hmm, think about this for a moment. This verse literally reads, Jonah was deeply offended, and he was burning hot. What? What kind of response is that from the man of God, right? (laughs) This should be a time of great rejoicing. The wicked city receives the message preached by the prophet Jonah, and they turn from their wickedness. And God spares them. And so they repent. What does the word repent mean? It means a change of mind or heart, hence a change of direction. From their wickedness, they now turn to God and understand repentance is an absolutely essential part of our faith. It's not enough to say, uh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We have to accompany that with a change of heart or mind, hence a change of direction. Without that, there isn't genuine faith evident. Right? Right? And so we must always turn from what was to turn toward God and what can be in him, what he intended for us all along. There must be repentance. And Jesus, if you look at his first words in the Gospel of Mark, he says, repent and believe the good news. And that's always essential to any moving of God. 
And so the city does it. But instead, Jonah is greatly upset and very angry. Why? Why is Jonah angry over the fact that God doesn't zap him? Why? That's what I was thinking about, too. I think that Jonah's motivation to run away from God in the opposite direction that he was supposed to go when he was sent to Nineveh, that we saw way back in chapter 1, is now revealed in these first three verses. Now we know why Jonah ran. Now we know why he took off rather than obeying God. Here's the word of God. So he complained to the Lord about it. This is Jonah. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Didn't I tell you this would happen? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. It never runs out. It never fails. It never gives up, right? You're slow to angry, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So now we get a glimpse into the heart of Jonah. Nine times in the Hebrew text of these first three verses of chapter 4, the personal pronouns of I, me, or my are used because that's what Jonah is all about. It's all about me. It's all about me. And now we begin to understand what is the conflict going on inside of this man at this point. We get to look into his heart and it's not pretty. The inside of the man of God's heart, this grumpy old prophet, is dark. Jonah's words reveal what's really there. What's really inside. He is self-absorbed. He is self-centered. Everything revolves around him. Hmm. He knew that the Lord is merciful and compassionate. He knew the Lord was slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Jonah knew that. He was a student of Scripture. He understood that very clearly. He also knew that the Lord is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to turn to him. Jonah knew this, and he also knew that this would happen. These nasty Assyrians, whom he hated, he hated, would be spared by God's grace. This wasn't the plan. I came to announce judgment. Wipe them out, God. And because you're not doing it the way I thought it should be done, I'm upset. I'm upset. So Jonah, being the kind of guy that he is, tries using scripture against God. He's actually quoting Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The man of God knew the word of God, so he tries quoting scripture back to God. I knew this would happen. <laughs> it's fascinating to me. He's saying, God, you know what? I'm really ticked because you're so loving. And besides that, you're kind too. <clears throat> you're slow to get angry. And I'm angry about that because you're slow to get angry. Hmm. Jonah is so upset by God's failure to do it his way. He says, look at this. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive. Just kill me. Just kill me. This is embarrassing. I came all this way. You brought me here via the fish. <laughs> What's going on here? I'd rather be dead. Just kill me now. Kill me now. Now, I do appreciate Jonah isn't hiding his true feelings. I love it when people don't hide their true feelings, when they're very honest, and they just kind of lay it out there. Here's the way I feel about this. And he's purposefully praying about it. This is good. This is really good stuff. This time he talks to God instead of running away from him. I think that's okay. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed in anger? Anger? Have you ever been so upset with God that you're angry with him? 
If you're honest, just for a moment, we've all been here, right? Just read the Psalms. And if you've never been angry in God, I don't know if you really have a relationship with God, to be honest with you. That is part of a healthy relationship with anyone, especially with God. Because sometimes life doesn't go our way. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? So, Jonah prays, but he prays in anger. I want you to know there's nothing wrong with talking to God that brutally, honestly. Nothing wrong. God's big enough to take it. He wants to hear what's going on in our hearts. Even if we're praying in anger, we're still communicating with him. He loves that. God can take it, but this is way over the top. Jonah's behaving like a whiny little baby. He's just like an overtired toddler in Walmart checkout lane. He thinks he knows what's best. He pouts, he throws a tantrum. When he doesn't get his way, he doesn't get his candy there in the checkout lane. Many of you here have raised children or are raising children. You know exactly what I mean. And some of you ladies are still raising your husbands, and that's why you're agreeing on the inside. He's right. He's right. He's right. Right. As he so often does, the Lord doesn't answer Jonah's question. Understand, this whole dialogue began with a question. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? So he's questioning God. He asks a question, right? But as God often does, he doesn't answer Jonah's question, but God will often ask us a question to our question. That's the way Jesus operated. Look into the gospel. He, when we ask God a question, he's going to answer with his own question, right? So what does he say? What does he say? Jonah. Jonah. And understand, when God speaks to us, he often uses our name. And as you get more and more attuned to hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, it'll often begin with your name. Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. Right? Jen, Jen, you're concerned about so many things. Right? Anne, Anne, why are you thinking about that right now? He'll often begin with your name, right? And then he speaks truth about who he is and who you are. And you know what? He loves you. Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah, take a moment, take a break. Oh, you're all upset. You're all shook up. Just back down. Just a sec. Jonah, Jonah, is it really right for you to be angry about this? He asks Jonah. Jonah doesn't answer. He doesn't answer. Rather, he stops off. You ever done that? Huh. I'm going to get my way. So he stomps off. He builds his own little man cave. I'm just going to hang out here. I'm going to go up and see if maybe God's going to change his mind. Then Jonah went off to the east side of the city. He made his shelter to sit on it as he waited to see what happened to the city. I'm going to my man cave and I'm going to sit here. So guys are still stomping off. Guys, stomp off. When life goes like that, right? They stomp off the garage, the tree stand, the bar, the game, the computer, whatever they stomp off to, men are still stomping off. And just like little babies, right? So what's going on here? In his cold, dark heart, the man of God wanted a front row seat to see the city wiped out. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. going to be like Womba. Go, God. Wipe him out. Wipe him out. Get him, God. Sick him. Ah. I knew this would happen. Yahweh was a Jewish God. 
He was his God. I'm not going to share Yahweh with you. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You get judged because you're mean, nasty. Not like me. I'm nice and kind and loving. It's the same spirit of the elder brother, is it not? Who was angry when his prodigal brother came home. I'm ticked. I've been here. I've served you. What's going on here? What's going on here? Come on. Come on, this isn't right. This narrow thinking can also unfortunately be found among too many of God's people today. How quickly we forget the grace that's been shown to us at the cross of Jesus. How quickly we can forget that. If we did remember, maybe we wouldn't act in the judgmental, ugly ways that we often do toward those who don't behave or believe just like I do because the way I behave and believe is the right way. And if you don't believe and behave the way that I do, then we got a problem. And instead of extending grace, I extend judgment because you're not like me. You don't behave the way I think you should. You don't believe the way I think you should. Therefore, you're different. Therefore, I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm going to judge you. I'm going to belittle you. I'm going to mock you. I'm going to write stuff on Facebook about you. Oh, my goodness. And how quickly we forget the grace that's been poured into our lives through Jesus at the cross. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive us for that kind of attitude, the same attitude that Jonah had. Mm -mm. So I love what God does here. He's now going to show incredible grace to his ungracious prophet. As nasty as Jonah is, God just keeps pounding this grace into him, just pounding this grace into him. It's just amazing to me. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Very grateful for the plant. Hmm. So God makes a plant grow out of nowhere to give Jonah additional, probably much better shade than his little man cave hut that he was sitting in there, right? So let's not overlook the contrast in words that's a part of this chapter and the emotions of the man of God as he goes from being very angry in verse 1 to very grateful for the plant. Very angry to very grateful. Could it be that our hero is finally going to get it right. He's now very grateful. Nope. Nope. All that is about to change. Very angry to very grateful. Welcome to the emotional roller coaster of many modern Christians in America. We go from being very grateful from very to very angry. When life is going good, we're very grateful. But when it doesn't quite fit into our wheelhouse, we get very angry very quickly. And up and down this roller coaster, we begin to ride. Let's stay with it here. All this gratitude is about to change. God also arranged for a what? A worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. As the sun grew hot, Jonah got arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. So he's in his little man cave. No more shade from the plant. He's very angry about this. Ah, just kill me. This is ridiculous. This isn't what I signed up for, right? So the Hebrew word mana means to appoint or arrange. It's used throughout this book. Listen to how it's used. Jonah uses the same word several times. Here we go. God arranged or hurled a powerful wind over the sea. 
Chapter 1, verse 4. He arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, 117. He arranged for a leafy plant to grow, 4.6. He arranged for a worm, 4.7. He arranged for a scorching east wind to blow, and 4.8. God is arranging things right now in your life, in mine, that we can't see or comprehend. He is arranging stuff right now in your life and mind that we can't comprehend. Why his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. They are so much higher than our own. Some of us in this room right now don't like it when things get rearranged. We brought our hairless cat back from Bangkok. His name was Harry. And whenever Cindy would, isn't this true, honey? If you would move the couch to the other side of the room, Harry would go ballistic for days, days. He'd walk around meowing. He was all out of sorts. He'd do devilish kinds of things. He was a unique cat for sure. But he did not like anything rearranged. Don't mess with routine. Hmm. Some of us don't like it when our furniture gets rearranged. Huh. We like it our way. Don't mess with it. Can you see how Jonah's disposition changes completely as he responds to God's rearranging his stuff? He goes from very grateful to very angry. God's arranging all the stuff. It's God doing it, right? But he's responding very differently, even though he knows it's God who's doing it. Wow. Like Jonah, we can often have the same overreactions with God. We say then, okay, I'm ticked. I don't like it. I don't like it when you arrange and rearrange stuff in my life. I like it just nice and easy. No ups and downs, no bumps, no nothing, right? I like it that way. I love it that way. But when you start rearranging stuff in my life, I don't like it that way. So we are unwilling to listen. We are unwilling to obey God. We are unwilling to learn from the difficult situation that we find ourselves in. We don't like it like this, right? So we chafe at having our plans mess with. Don't you dare mess with my plans. I thought through this. I've got plans. <laughs> we wonder if this is the way it's going to be. Then just kill me. I want my life the way I want it. It's nice. It's orderly. I've got it all figured out because I'm in control. <laughs> or if this is the way things are going to be, then God, I quit. I quit on you. I quit on you, God. I don't like the way you're rearranging my life. Every time I seem to just get in a groove, something happens, and everything gets rearranged. I don't know where I am or what's going on. And how do I respond to this? And so I go from very grateful to very angry, very grateful, very angry. Bum, 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 bum. Here we go. Just like the prophet Jonah. We overact. And we vacillate between spiritual highs and lows. Oh, sometimes we love Jesus. We come and we love Jesus. Next word, really take to Jesus. Jesus, why did you let this happen? Oh, well, you're rearranging all this stuff in my life. I don't get it. I don't get it. Hmm. Anyway, God arranges for a worm to attack the plant and make it wither. He exposes Jonah to the brutal heat of this part of the world. And just to make sure, oh, God, you're so loving. Just to make sure Jonah is as uncomfortable as humanly possible, he goes to the next level. He arranges a scorching east wind to make Jonah absolutely miserable. You're very grateful for that plant, son, right? Try this one. <laughs> Let's see how grateful you are. He's not. He's probably near here. It's a heat stroke, so he gets ticked off again. So for the second time, God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry is it right for you to be angry because your little plant died? 
this little plant. You were very grateful for the little plant. Is it right for you to be angry that the plant dies? Yes, Jonah retorts, even angry enough to die. Can you imagine this dialogue? This just, this just, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. You see, we can get so swallowed up by our own personal comforts that we can't see beyond ourselves on our own borders. And when stuff starts to get rearranged, we get really uncomfortable with this. We put our own agendas, our own schedule, our own reason above God's invitation. God's invitation, be my disciple, go and make disciples. Pretty simple, right? Hmm, hmm. We want to sit under our plant. What's our plant today? Will we sit in our air conditioning and heat homes and cars and office cubes and everything else is so comfortable around us? My, aren't we comfortable? When we get a front row seat, turn on our computer and we can watch God wipe everybody out. <laughs> hmm. We do what we want to do when we want to do it. And when we can't do what we do, what we want to do when we want to do it, we get very angry. Rather than considering others more important than ourselves, which is what meaningful existence is all about, according to Jesus. Consider others more important than yourself. Then the Lord says, Jonah, 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 you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Take in what God is saying here in verses 10 and 11. He says, okay, Jonah, let me get this straight. You feel sorry for this plant you didn't create, you didn't cultivate. In fact, you want to die because the plant went away. Hmm. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. And yet, Jonah, you don't expect me to have pity on a whole city of people that I created in my image. People families that I have been drawing to this point of repentance for decades that I sent you to give them this message of hope? Let me get this straight. Shouldn't I feel compassion for these who are the work of my hands? People that I love? Jonah. Nineveh contains 120,000 little children. I like the NIV translation better here. Who don't know their right hand from their left. That means they were little tiny kids. So that would have made the total population of Nineveh probably near a million people. A plant, Jonah, a plant, a million people. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Notice what God is trying to teach Jonah through all this. Some misplaced priorities. The plant was more important than people for Jonah. God says, you feel sorry for this. I feel sorry for this. Plant versus people. Huh. The temporal, more important than the spiritual. The immediate, more important than the eternal. Personal needs, more important than the spiritual needs of others. Creature comforts, more important than concern for the lost. Now, if you have that list in your sermon notes, I I encourage you, as I've done, take just a moment. See which side of the ledger you're on. The left or the right? The left or the right? Where's my concern? For the plant, the temporal, the immediate, my personal needs, my creature comforts? Or is my concern for people, the spiritual, the eternal, the spiritual needs of others. Concern for those who are lost. God, what needs to happen in my heart? What needs to happen in my heart? Huh. What a weird ending to this book. That's where it ends, right? Does it seem kind of complete to you or incomplete? I'm like, huh? Huh? It ends here? That's no ending. What happens to Jonah? We know what happens to Nineveh. 
and to the Assyrians, right? Because just a few decades later, they're going to invade the northern kingdom and wipe them out, the ten tribes. Hmm. I was thinking about this, and I was saying, Lord, I never did get the ending of the book of Jonah. What am I supposed to do with this? He says, John, it's not the end of the book of Jonah. The Old Testament never ends where it ends. The Old Testament always ends with Jesus. Always ends with Jesus. Fill in the blank. Roll it forward seven centuries. See what happens. Where's Jonah mentioned next? From the lips of my master. His name is Jesus. That's where the story ends. Listen to what Jesus says here. John, the Lord's saying, story doesn't end there. Story always ends with Jesus. I said, oh, I get it, Lord. I get what you're saying. Let's pick it up in the account. Matthew 12. One day some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. <laughs> but Jesus replies, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Here's the end of the story. Jesus is always the end of the story. The sign of the prophet Jonah, this expression that's used in this passage of scripture, was used by Jesus to refer to this place of death that would become a place of deliverance. It's God arranges things in our life. Jonah pointed the sign of the prophet Jonah, Jesus did, as a sign of his own work. This is his work. Rescuing those who have rebelled and disobeyed, those who have gone their own way and wandered away. Is that you? Is that me? Yes, that's me. That's me. Huh. God delivered Jonah from the belly of the great fish after three days and three nights. God would deliver his son from the earth. You want a miraculous sign, you got it. Both are miracles of deliverance and salvation. One was for Jonah so that his heart would see. The other was for you and for me and the sins of the entire world as he goes to the cross, as he rises from the dead. The end of the story is always Jesus. Salvation. The cross is the place of death that has become my place of deliverance. Do you know this Jesus? Has he delivered you from the place of death? Do you know his abundant life? This Jesus, the Deliverer. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of rescue. If you need to know this Jesus, he waits with arms open, ready to receive all who would come. But perhaps you know this salvation this forgiveness of sin. But maybe today you find yourself in a place that's kind of weird. Maybe you find yourself in a place of a great storm. 
and you wonder, where am I? What's happening? Why is God arranging this stuff in my life? What's, what's happening, God? Why are you doing this? Maybe you're in a terrible storm, but if you're in a storm, God is calling us to submit to the one who arranged the storm. It's the same God who can say to the storm, peace, be still. That's enough. And it will grow quiet. And re- I just remind you, as I remind myself, that doesn't necessarily mean that one external circumstance will change, but everything changes in my heart when he says, peace, be still. Be still. And the storm won't seem nearly as stormy because we know the one who calms the storm. And maybe you find yourself this morning, you've been ejected from the ship and they threw you overboard and you're sinking down, 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 down. But you came to church this morning knowing your life is headed in the wrong direction. And you're saying, man, God, please, please, I've got to change this. I've got to change this. God, where are you? I don't know what's happening in my life, but I know that I've bailed out of the ship and I'm sinking down. I'm going down and I need help. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Like Jonah, we will fail. But his love never will. Jesus never fails. Trust in what he's already done. Even in the middle of the storm or at the bottom of where you're headed, we will discover that he is always with us and he is for us. He is for us. When we turn to him, could it be that the storm that's hit our life, the storm that threatens to break up our ship, is the tool that God is using and arranging to drive us back into his arms? Could it be? Could it be? Please understand, this rearranging, this storm, this downward cycle, is not because he's mad at us, it's because he loves us. And God disciplines those he loves. He's not mad at you. He's waiting for you and me to come home. He's calling us. He's arranging for that to happen. If we will pick up on the cues that he's giving us. He's not mad at us. He loves us. He loves you. Even in your unloveliness. He doesn't want to lose us he doesn't want us to keep running from his love because we can't outrun it he doesn't want us to keep running until suddenly time runs out on us forever he's pursuing us right now so he sent this thing into our life it's something we can't control it's something we can't fix it's something that we're powerless to handle right yeah We can't do anything about it. Oh, yes, we can. We need you. How I need you. Every hour, I need you. His hand extended in love toward you. Even if you're angry with God, his hand extended toward you. Will you take it and receive the love that he has waiting 
the forgiveness, the freedom, the freedom, if we'll but take his hand and be rescued. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of life from your book called the Bible. These words bring hope. These words bring freedom. These words are not sent to condemn or guilt us into changing our behavior, but rather to liberate us to be whom you've created us to be in Jesus. And there are some folk here this morning caught up in a storm, not of their choosing, but they're there. And the storm takes on many faces. It might be financial. It's a relationship. It's a decision that needs to be made that's agonizing. It's being willing to give something up and say no to so that we might say yes to you. It's about laying it all on the altar. And Lord, I'm so grateful that this storm is not without purpose. You have arranged it by intent. There's some of us that are sinking, Lord. We're sinking. And our disobedience has taken us to places we never thought we could end up. And we're scared right now. Father, I pray that you would extend that arm of love right into that heart. Right now. In the name of Jesus. Bringing hope. Bringing life. bringing a new sense of God right into this heart, in this room. We are powerless. We need you, Lord. And we believe that your grace is sufficient. Father, Father, Welcome us home. We choose to take your hand. And be free. Oh God, how we need you. Thank you. Thank you for the words of Jonah that lead us to Jesus that lead us to freedom
Thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Help us now to leave here with an openness to what you want to do in us. And I thank you in advance for never giving up and being so relentless in your pursuit because you love us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.